0: I don't know if I've ever said this, but that was pretty much a perfect prayer for what we're gonna be talking about today. So thank you. So, sorry, I'm gonna fidget some more. Most of you know this, and most of you were here yesterday, but we had our inaugural wedding in CRC yesterday. Yay, Ben and Agnes. Um, you know, it, it was kind of cool. I'd never seen CRC set up in that manner before. And it was kind of cool. It was kind of cool. It, usually, I say this to people, but we cleaned up pretty nice. Um, just it was, it was a very cool setting, I thought, for a wedding. So we're very happy for Ben and Agnes, and they're obviously not here today. But... We're very happy for them. I don't know why they're not here. Uh, But we're going to be going through Matthew some more. We're in Matthew 10, 34 through 42. We're going to finish chapter 10 today. There are are Bibles back there. If you want one, Dale would be glad to bring you one. Um, Daniel used to do a very good job at saying, we've got Bibles and this is what page we're on. I'm very, very poor at that. But we do have Bibles. If anyone wants one, they're back there, stacked up next to the... And that's Dale back there. If you want one, or if you ever want one during the middle, he'll pay close attention. Start in verse 34. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. For I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, guess I should have followed my lovely on-screen prompts up there, but we've said this before that the Jews have been expecting a Messiah, they've been expecting a Savior, they've been expecting this this one who's going to come and save them, but what we've seen is that they've come expecting this wrong kind of Savior. They've been expecting this person that was going to come and to save them from their physical situation. It's going to save them from this tyranny that has been over them for so long that they've so long not been an autonomous country or a people. They've been ruled by the Romans. They've been ruled by various kings. Andy, I just lost your pick. Um, But... They've been expecting this peace that was going to come via the government, via someone who's going to come and to rule over them in a wonderful way, and this leader that God was going to give them, that was going to free them. And they had heard many prophecies in the Old Testament that there was this king coming who was going to provide peace. And there's many examples of this, many promises in the Old Testament, and I'm just going to read one that's a very familiar passage. From Isaiah 9, Um, it should be on the screen if you don't want to flip there. Isaiah 9, 6-7 says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. These are the kind of prophecies that the Jews have been reading for years and years and years, expecting this person that was going to come with the government on his shoulders and to provide peace that they had not had. There's other passages. There's Isaiah 42, Psalm 72. But what we've seen is that the Messiah that has come has been preaching a different message, has been been saying things that were not in line with their version of the Messiah. Jesus has been teaching, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn. You're going to be persecuted. I'm sending you out as sheep amongst wolves. Your families are going to turn you over. You're going to be flogged in the synagogues. This is the kind of message that Jesus has been preaching which is very different from this Messiah, this Savior that they had envisioned from these Old Testament prophecies. And Jesus has not said at this point, oh yes, I'm going to come in, I'm going to overthrow the Roman government. I'm going to come in and take power. That's not the message that Jesus has preached. Later on, He goes and says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. He's affirming the government that's there. Their expectation of what the Messiah was going to look like was very different than what God had designed. Their definition of a Savior was very different than what God had designed. And I want to kind of ask this question as we go through today of us. Like, what is our definition of this God that we want, this Savior that we have envisioned, is that different than what, how Jesus describes himself? Because last week we saw that Jesus was declaring God as sovereign. Jesus was declaring that God was sovereign over the big, over the small. And that we see that God says that Jesus is Lord whether or not we want to believe that. But if that is true, if it's true that that Jesus is Lord, then that means that our lives are going to look very different. That our lives are going to be lived with unhindered abandon. That we're going to be totally surrendered to who He is and what He desires. So on top of God's sovereignty... Jesus deserves our ultimate allegiance. Verse 34 says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. These verses are difficult to read. They're difficult to say, yes, that that as a result of Jesus' coming, that families are going to struggle against families, that relationships are going to be difficult. And I don't understand how someone reads these verses and is able to lean on any sort of prosperity gospel, any sort of gospel that says that yes, God's design is for me to be happy. That God's design is for me to be healthy, that God's desire is for me to be. Successful in the world's view. Because Jesus has said so much that is completely opposite of that. He said his desire is for our good, his will is for our good, but it doesn't say that we're always happy, it doesn't say that everything is smooth. Jesus is saying that as his, at his coming, because of this message that he's preaching, there's going to be division. A sword. A sword causes division. Usually it's among an actual physical body that the sword can divide, literally. But the sword divides. The sword is opposite of a symbol for peace. But that this division among families, this strife, this causing families to hate one another, the mother and father... Are going to be against each other. A father against his daughter, a man against his father, a daughter against her mother. But that this is a real situation for people in our world. This is a real thing that people deal with. And I think, just like I said a couple weeks ago about persecution, sometimes I don't think we completely understand the weight of persecution where people are literally could kill you for your faith. Sometimes I don't think that we quite understand that. And sometimes I think, because so often this looks different in our culture, but that doesn't mean it's not here. Because I, I think families are divided, can be divided because of faith, because of what Jesus has called us to. What Jesus has called His disciples to is a life lived for the Gospel, which... Divides in our country, in our nation, in our world. A couple weeks ago, I also mentioned the "God's Not Dead" movies. How I th- one thing I think they really do well is showing that the families be- can be against one another because of the gospel. That there is people you can people that are persecuted, people that are. Um, kicked out of families because of the gospel. And they often know that as they are drawn into Christ. As they are brought into that relationship, they know that it could very well cost them their families. So I've never done this, but we've got to, I'm just going to show like a two-minute clip from the first God's Not Dead movie. And many of you have seen this scene. And although this is a movie that is fiction, that a movie is, was created... But this is a very real thing that people around the world deal with. So I hope this works. Hope there's sound. Hope it's all going to go super smooth. It's difficult that although that is a movie made by a production company, that that right there is something that people all over the world know is a very possible thing as they Are changed by Christ as they associate with Christ, as they come and say, Yes, I am a Christian, that they know their families could disown them, their families could kick them out as a result of the gospel. And Jesus is saying that I have come to do this, not not to separate families for the sake of separating families, but that as He changes people, as He calls people, He's telling His disciples up front, This is a possibility. Because not everyone is a Christian. Not everyone is going to understand this. Not everyone is going to realize the weight of their sin. Not everyone is going to understand the gospel. It's one of those things that we've said before, earlier in Matthew, even, about counting the cost. And people all over see the cost it can be their families, it can be other relationships. It says to count the cost. But what Jesus is saying through that, in the midst of families being torn apart, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of people all over the world being persecuted, Jesus said that God is sovereign. That God is in control of even that. But that Jesus, because of who He is, because of what He's done, is worth our allegiance, is worth following. Because He's in control, no matter what the the certain specific circumstances look like. But that is not just a rare occurrence that, that is exaggerated by a movie. That's a real thing. And I think that we need to know this. That we've said time and time again, or especially over the last couple of weeks, that Jesus is not sugarcoating things. Jesus is not saying that everything's gonna be good and gravy, everything's gonna be easy. Following me is easy, following me is not difficult. That's not at all what he said. But he's saying that we have to be aware of this and willing to submit to the Lordship of Christ, trusting that he is sovereign. Verse 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What you see is Jesus was not saying to Aisha, I think, was her name. You're to hate your father. That was not the command, but the command was that your allegiance is to Christ, and Christ first, and Christ is the ultimate allegiance that you have. And and compared to that, it does look like hate. Because you love Christ, because you're submitted to Christ so much more. But often... often love of ourselves, love of our own desires, love of our worldly passions get in the way. This is one of the biggest hindrances, I think, to following Christ. That we lay down our lives, we lay down our passions, we lay down our desires, and we follow after His. Just like Tanner was just praying that we, we ask God to change our desires, change our passions, change our ultimate wants to His. I'm not saying that every, every desire is bad. I think that God gives us desires that He puts within us, often to be used for Him, and that even express ourselves in very worldly ways, whether it be through music, whether it be through our desire to, to love, our desire to be led even but that Jesus is saying that I want those desires, I want the passions to be for me. But Jesus continues to teach them that God is sovereign. And in following Him, things are going to be extremely difficult. 38. Whoever does not take his cross daily and follow me is not worthy of me. What you see is often this thing, I've heard it said that, okay, that I, that's my cross. My cross is this difficult situation in my life. This is this health burden. It's this thing. It's the job loss. It's something. That's my cross to bear, I've heard people say. That's not at all what Jesus is talking about. Take his cross. The Jews hearing this, people hearing this, would have associated the cross with nothing less than death. Nothing less than death. Taking your cross does not mean difficult things, it doesn't mean things that are trying. It's, you lose your job. Oh, that's, that's a cross to bear. The cross is death. He says, take, take your cross. He's not saying just physical death but that we are dying to ourselves. We're dying to our worldly passions. We're dying to what we want because we know that allegiance to Him is worth so much more. Jesus is saying that in order to follow Him, we have to be willing to lay all of that down. Relationships, because He's worth more. Family, He's worth more. Whatever it be. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Our life that we're looking for is not this life. That's what he's saying. Unlike some Texas pastors would say, our best life is not now. Sorry, I had to. Like, are th- if this is our best life, we're in trouble. We don't look to find our life here because those who find their best life here are those that are following after worldly passion, success in the world's eyes. This is absolutely not our best life if you're trusting in Jesus. By looking for your best life here, you miss out on a life that is sold out for Jesus, that is, live for Him, through Him. And it's not saying that you, you look to lose your life, that if you are killed for your faith, that, that you somehow gain salvation because of that. That, that is not what he's saying but being willing to die physically and daily dying to ourselves. This is how we find life. Dying to ourselves, to our desires, to our passions. There are so many examples in the Bible of of life being short, that, that life is not about having the most right now. As you'll see, as we'll see in a second, we start talking about various rewards that rewards are not a, a thing that we're talking about right now. Often when the Bible says that you will get your reward or the, your reward you'll not lose your reward, this reward is an eternal thing, I'm not just talking about right here and right now. And I think that last week I mentioned that we often make our decisions based on here and now without thinking about eternal. We, we, we make too many decisions worried about what, what makes my life easier right now? What makes my life simple right now? What makes my life most enjoyable right now? Instead of thinking about this in the eternal, and instead of thinking about this in that as I'm submitting to Christ, as I'm living a life that is 100% surrendered to Him, what would he have me do with this decision? What would he have me do in this moment? But if what Jesus says is true, what he said the last couple of weeks with being that God being sovereign, that that Jesus deserves our allegiance, our following of him, in spite of relationships, in spite of other things, that we're still following Christ because he's worth it, if that is true. Then we have to trust that this is not our best life. And we're going to come back to this idea. Verse 40 Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Dying to ourselves, living a life that is sold out for Jesus, means that that we seek to model Jesus in every single way. We do what Jesus did. We speak how Jesus spoke. We, We love how Jesus loved And right here, this, the, these verses really kind of confused me at first. Like, like, What's it talking about, a righteous person? What about receiving a righteous person, receiving a prophet? What does that mean? Aren't we, aren't we going to the, the lost in the world? Aren't we going out? Aren't we getting away from our Christian bubbles? Aren't we supposed to be the church and then spread and scatter and, and be sharing this gospel message? But, and yes, absolutely, those are true. But Jesus is also calling to more than that. Receive, receiving a righteous person. Receiving a prophet. Receiving those who are being sent out by Jesus. The little ones He's talking about are disciples. Be, read that again. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple... Truly I say to you, He will by no means lose His reward. I don't know exactly who these little ones are. It doesn't say exactly, but it says they're disciples. That Maybe they're people that are young in their faith. Maybe they're people that are immature in their faith. Maybe they're people who receive no recognition for what they're doing. Maybe they're people that God puts in your path to help provide for as they are following Christ. I was just thinking different ways that this is modeled. And these various things, like churches that have mission homes that welcome back missionaries to be able to stay there as they receive the righteous person. And they're able to love and care for them in that moment. Or, I was thinking through various times in the Bible that, that Paul thanked someone for helping to provide. Or Ananias, as Paul was first changed by Christ, and then goes to this Ananias person who takes him in and Can and begins to teach him. But Jesus is saying that even in the way that we serve these people matters. Even in the way that we serve the church matters. Or people outside the church, or outside of our own church. But it says we will not lose our reward. We will not lose this eternal reward, this eternal significance. But as we are ambassadors for Christ, we carry this Gospel with us. Whether we're interacting with Christians, whether we're, re- we're interacting with the lost people in the world, whether we're reacting with our family who doesn't know Christ, who is going to cut us off. But we are ambassadors for Christ is what it says. But it's through dying to ourselves that this happens. Because if we're out for our own Desires, if we're out for our own gain, then often this doesn't happen. If we're conforming to the patterns of the world, if we're worried about what this life has for us, then we're missing it. Jesus is saying that people are going to dislike you because you believe this gospel, because you believe this message that is good news. But often Jesus is saying, but there's real. It doesn't mean it's always happy. It doesn't mean you're always on top of the world, in the the world's eyes. But that as we die to ourselves, this is one of those things that we've talked about, that you don't do by your own strength. You don't muster up the strength to die to yourself daily. That's something that Jesus does in us. That as we submit to Him, Jesus is making us more like Himself, that God is transforming our hearts, that He's given us His desires, just like Tanner was praying earlier. And yes, the God, Jesus is saying, I'm bringing a sword, I'm bringing division as the gospel changes hearts. But also, that the gospel is, is a message of peace in a, in a different way. It's not in the way that the Jews were expecting it. It's not in the way that I think we often can can expect that we've seen the news. We've seen the world. The, the world does not look like it's headed for peace. But that the gospel is peace to us being separated from God. That the Gospel is a message of peace for those that have no chance at reconciliation with God other than the Gospel. And that's all of us. But Jesus is saying that I'm coming, the, the salvation that I'm bringing is not from government tyranny, it's not from, from all this worldly pain that, you, that you, see, you seem to be dealing with, but He's saying that I'm bringing salvation from the one thing that you needed most of all, and that's our sin. But we can't get this confused with worldly peace. We can't get this confused with our life being easy here. Because one thing that the Bible makes very clear in the midst of this crazy, crazy world, in in the midst of family conflict, in the midst of worldly conflict, in the midst of racial conflict, in the midst of government conflict, political conflict, the list goes on and on and on. But in the midst of this, we are dying to ourselves. We're dying to our passions. We're dying to what we want. Because Jesus has called us to more than that. Jesus has called us to something that is far better, far greater. And if God is sovereign like He says He is, then we can trust that surrendering to Jesus that surrendering to this calling is absolutely worth it. Like, I don't know where each one of us are. I don't know where you're at spiritually. I don't know where you are in your walk. But I feel confident to say that dying to ourselves, dying to our worldly passions, is something that we all deal with time and time and time again. I would even say daily. As we fight to... Die to ourselves. But this is what Jesus is calling that our relationships, our families, are not worth sur- not surrendering to Jesus. Because if He's ultimately worth it, then the rest doesn't really matter but he says that we are ambassadors for Christ, that we, we do represent Him as we go, as we interact with other believers, as we interact with a sinful world, but that ambassadors are fully submitted and surrendered to the one that they are representing. And that's where I want us to be. That's where I want us to be as a church. That's where I want to be myself, that, that we are surrendered to what God is calling us to. And it goes back to something we've said a bunch. This is where we have to beg God to change our hearts. This is where we have to say, God, I, I, I want the things of this world. Things in this world are good. Things, I, I, often I feel like we're in this place. I know that I'm in this place where things in this world look good. But it's constantly begging God to give us a heart that desires what He desires. Constantly asking God to change our wants, change our desires, change our passions to be his. That it would not be us creating this, this Jesus that is, that is the most fun to follow. That it's, it's not us creating our own God. But it's us saying, yes, God, you are sovereign, you are in control, and, I, and you're the only one worth following. You're, having a relationship with you is of more value than anything else. I just, just pray that that be where your heart is. I pray that that's where my heart is. I pray that that's where your heart is. Let's pray that we would wholly surrender. Let's pray.